He picked a good day to come to church. Not because of the messenger. I promise you that. But because of where we are in God's Word. What a great day you picked. Just to help you get ready for what we're going to look at in God's Word today, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about what do you have that is valuable? What do you have that is precious? Now, knowing the quality of this group, you probably thought of the Lord and you thought of people. Don't, I want you to think of your property. Think of things that you own that are valuable. It's fun to have expensive things. But there's a problem, isn't there? People want to steal our good stuff. A thief doesn't break into your house to take your old bathrobe and slippers, right? A thief wants your treasure. You know, I, I know a little bit, just a little bit about bicycles. And sometimes I'll go around your Belinda and I'll see a bike in a rack. And I, and, and I realize, oh, wow, somebody paid a lot of money for this bicycle because it's one of those super ultra-weight uh, ultra bicycles. So they paid extra money to have this lightweight bicycle, but then they also had to pay extra money to buy a super heavy chain to wrap it up. Kind of defeats the purpose, right? You spend all that money to have the lightest bike you can possibly have, then you go out to spend all that money to find the heaviest chain you can possibly get, and you drag that around with you. But you have to, right? Somebody will steal it. And I've heard, ladies, I've heard, that sometimes you have jewelry that is so valuable, so precious, you won't wear it because you don't want anybody to, to, to rob you. Or you don't even have it out where you look at it. You, you, you keep it in a safe or a safety deposit box. I've heard that's true. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that's true. But the point is, when we have precious things, we're afraid they could get stolen. Sitting here today, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus for your salvation, you have something so precious that there is a thief that is day and night will stop at nothing to steal it from you. I am not, I am not talking about your salvation. Your salvation is secure in the bank of heaven. It's in the throne, throne room of God. He's holding your salvation in his hand. You can't lose that. But you have something else very valuable. Precious freedoms that you have in Christ. And there's a thief named Satan that will stop at nothing to steal it from you. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, gosh, I don't really know what my freedom in Christ is exactly passage we're going to look at today is going to show us what our freedom is in Christ and how to protect it. So let's pray before we open God's word. Father, always we come with such, such love. We are in awe of you, just as we sang. We are in awe of you. And Lord, the truth of your word is too big for our minds to hold unless your Holy Spirit comes and reveals it to us. So we pray that all ears will be attuned to you, be listening to your voice this hour as we open your word and see how you have created us to live maybe very differently than we are living. And I pray, Father, we'll see your truth as we've never seen it before. That's something only you can do for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 to 12. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul begins to make his final appeal for his readers, that includes you and me, to walk in the freedom of Christ. To walk in the freedom of Christ means to spend every moment of every day in the freedom of Christ. I wonder how many of us think we spend every moment of every day in walking in the freedom of Christ. 
I imagine if you're like me, sometimes life gets in the way. And you find yourself not walking in freedom. You're walking in your circumstances. You're walking in your bills. You're walking in your work situation. You're walking in anger. You're walking in disappointment. And you don't feel or live very free. Our passage today will help us understand what our freedom in Christ really means to us and how we can experience it to the fullest every day of our lives. Here's the outline for these 12 verses. Verse 1, we're going to look at our freedom in Christ and how to protect it. We're going to spend a little bit of extra time there, but we'll get through the rest of it. I promise we'll be done on time by about 3 o'clock. Part 2 is the trap of legalism versus the hope of faith. And Part 3 is amazing. We're going to see that it takes so little for us to lose so much. Try to picture Paul sitting at his desk. He's writing. He's got his oil lamp lit. And it's casting its glow over the papers as he's writing. And the whole, God's Holy Spirit is directing every word that Paul writes. So the words are flowing right out of God's heart into Paul's heart. And I pray they will flow right into our hearts if we give these words our fullest attention. So let's read Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Okay, verse 1. Verse 1 announces our freedom in Christ and how to protect it. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Freedom. What does that word mean? Let me have the first picture, please. In our country, we have a statue named Freedom. Statue of Liberty. She stands in one of our greatest harbors, proudly to claim our political and religious freedom in this country. But this kind of liberty, which is a national treasure of America, Paul is not writing about our religious freedom or our political freedom. You know, many people today seek freedom, or they think freedom is, to get whatever they want. Freedom is try to, trying to get their hands on whatever they think is best for them. This is also not the kind of freedom Paul is writing about. The freedom to have anything you please is false freedom. Would you like to see a picture of what false freedom looks like? 
false freedom. False freedom looks like a treat, but it's always a trap. Let's turn to John chapter 8 together. Here we find Jesus speaking to two groups of people. He's speaking to those who believe he is the Messiah, and he's also speaking to the religious leaders who hate him and do not believe he's their Lord and Savior. So we're going to read John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36, and their topic is freedom. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, now the religious leaders butt but in here, and they say, we are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. Apparently the leaders did not study Hebrew history and were not aware of the Roman occupation, but that's okay, they're in denial. How is it you say that you shall become free? Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Free indeed. What does that mean? It's amazing. You know what it means? Free indeed means free in every possible way. <coughs> Excuse me. Free in every possible way. Jesus sets us free in every possible way. But the false freedom of the world traps us enslaves us. If we want to experience the ultimate freedom in Christ, we have to do two things. First, we have to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, we have to do what Jesus said. We have to abide in his word. We have to be faithful students of his word. Because the more we read our Bibles, the more we will understand and experience all the freedoms of, of Christ. And we'll understand what it means to be truly free in every possible way. In Galatians 5.1, Paul declares that Jesus has set us free from the impossible burden, from the curse of trying to live by the law. Jesus has set us free to be saved by grace through faith in him, and faith in the Son of God. But you know, there are other aspects of our freedom that other scriptures talk about. For example, we are free from the death penalty of sin forever. We are free to be citizens of heaven instead of prisoners of hell. Now those freedoms are guaranteed to us and secure by God through our salvation. But you know, we have other aspects of our freedom that we control. We impact how we are enjoying them or not. These are the ones that Satan can get his hands on. Listen to these. We are free to live in awe of God. He has forgiven our sins, past, present, and future. Are you in awe of God this morning? Do you spend every day going, oh my gosh, I'm forgiven. We are free to face fear with faith. We can, we can face fear with faith, so we experience incredible hope instead of despair. We are free to respond to tough times with peace instead of panic. We are free to rest in God's faithfulness in every circumstance instead of worrying about them. Are you at rest today? Do you go through life at rest? Or do you worry? 
we are free to enjoy victory over even the toughest temptation. We are free to walk in the light instead of darkness. Walking in the light means we are free to have such a close personal relationship with Jesus that we are constantly amazed by him. We're amazed at his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness. We are amazed at his perfect plan for us. Do we walk like that every day of our lives? The freedom we have in Christ is the freedom to live as God intended for us to live. Where we experience his joy his peace, his power every day. So if you're not living like that every day of your life, what is preventing us from living in those freedoms of Christ? What is stopping us? We have an enemy. His name is Satan. He cannot steal our salvation because God's holding on to that. But the devil can certainly mess with our freedoms. How does he do that? Satan's M.O., his modus operandi, his approach, has not changed since the beginning of mankind. Let's turn together to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at a th- three different passages in Genesis before we come back to Galatians. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. You know this story. Adam and Eve lived in perfect paradise. What freedom they had! They had perfect weather. They had perfect food. They were perfect for each other. And above all, they had a perfect relationship with the Lord. It was personal. It was unhindered in any way. God gave them everything they needed with only one exception. He said, do not eat the fruit of one tree. Let's think about that. Don't eat the fruit of one tree. Now that would be a big restriction if there was only one tree or just a few trees. How many trees were there in the Garden of Eden? Let's read. We have it right here in front of us. Genesis, we're going to read Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and then go to verse 16 and 17. Verse 8. And the Lord God God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree. This means in the Hebrew, multiple trees. It's a forest. It's a lot of trees. This is a word that says God planted lots of trees that are pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the middle, in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden, from any of these many, many trees, you may eat freely. You're free. Verse 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. God filled the garden with all kinds of fabulous food. He said, enjoy it all, but just don't eat the fruit of this one tree. Adam and Eve obeyed God, and they thrived in paradise. Then Satan came along in the form of a serpent. You know what he saw? Satan saw that Adam and Eve were always happy. They were always content. They were always peaceful. They were always free. So the serpent hatched a plan to get them to trade away their happiness, contentment, peace, and freedom. We have to ask ourselves, what could Satan possibly offer Adam and Eve that's better than paradise? 
what can Satan possibly offer you and me that's better than what we have in Christ? The answer? Nothing. The, the devil has nothing to offer except slavery and death. That's it. So how did the serpent convince Adam and Eve to give up paradise? The same way Satan gets us to trade away our freedom in Christ, the devil runs a scam on us. Let's read Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Verse 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. Verse 4. Here comes the con game. Then the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Satan's scam was and is this. The Lord's word can't be trusted. As if it's always better to listen to a serpent than the Lord. Yet how many times do we continue to listen to that serpent's voice? Satan said, you're not going to die if you eat that fruit. You're going to be like God when you start doing things your way instead of his way. Satan is still running that racket on us today. Everywhere we go, everywhere we go, Satan is right there whispering and hissing in our ears. He's whispering, you can't trust God. God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to have the good stuff in life. You're better off doing things your way, not his way. It's too narrow. Come on, you know what's best. Go for it. You'll be glad you did. Trust me. Do you ever hear that in your voice, in your ear? Adam and Eve took the serpent's advice. How did that turn out for them? Let's look at chapter 3, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him, Adam, and Eve out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Adam and Eve lost paradise for a piece of fruit. Bad trade, wouldn't you say? How many bad trades have we made and continue to make? Jesus said, we saw it in chapter 8 of John, truly, truly, this means as true as it gets from the word of God. This is as true as it gets. Everyone, that's all of us, without exception, who commits sin is a slave of sin. But the devil says, no, Jesus is lying. You won't be a slave, you'll be free. Who do we believe? The Lord or the serpent? Listen to this quote from a former slave woman in the South just after the Civil War. Listen to what she said. She said, Now, am I free or am I not? When I go to my old master, he says, I'm not free. 
And when I go to my own people, they say I am free. And I don't know whether I'm free or not. Some people told me that Abraham Lincoln signed the proclamation. But Master says he didn't. He didn't have any right to. We can suffer the same confusion as this dear woman from long ago. Our Bible tells us that Jesus has signed a declaration, an emancipation proclamation. He has set us free. But our old master, Satan, tells us we're still his slaves. We lose our freedom when we listen to the wrong master. Genesis 2.9 tells us that God made all the trees in the garden pleasing to the eye and delicious for food. So we can be certain that that forbidden fruit that they ate looked great. Sure, it tasted delicious. You know, if sin looked disgusting, if it smelled rotten, and if it tasted foul, we could resist it. But revenge looks delicious. Greed looks rewarding. Lust looks exciting. Selfishness looks important. Anger looks necessary. Worry looks unavoidable. Sin always looks good to our eyes when our eyes are not on Jesus. Have you ever said something like this to yourself? What could it hurt if I just lie a little? Or just cheat this once? Or share this juicy piece of gossip that's just too good to keep quiet? What if I just share this little one? Or what if I just check out that adult website just for a minute? Take a quick look. What if I just spend a few minutes here worrying about this instead of praying. What's the big deal if I commit this little sin? Well, here's the big deal. Straight from the Word of God, straight from the truth of God. God's Word tells us that everything that enslaves us starts with a first bite. Everything that enslaves us starts with a first bite. Let's go back to Galatians 5.1 now and read it again in light of all of this. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. It was for freedom in every possible way that Jesus set us free. Notice, Jesus sets us free. We cannot set ourselves free. Satan certainly cannot set us free. Satan's brand of freedom is a trap. Remember the cheese in the trap? Jesus reaches out to us with his nail-pierced hands, offering us the only true freedom there really is. So how can we pr protect our freedoms and resist all those traps of the devil? Paul gives us the answer in verse 1. It's wonderful. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, here's the answer. Keep standing firm. Keep standing firm. What does that mean? Keep standing firm means continue to stay firmly attached to Jesus. Do not let go of Jesus for any reason. Can I have that next picture, Daniel, please? This is a picture coming up of the Ohana River up in Mount Rainier National Park in Washington State. 
I was there many, many years ago. I want you to notice how sheer the cliffs are along that river. That's important to this story. We were up there scouting for a location to film a car commercial where some kayaks were involved. This is one of the major kayak rivers in the country. And we hiked through the forest and we came along the river and there was a stretch where we had to walk right along a narrow ledge right along the river. So the ledge was less than the width of this step. The ledge was about this wide. And we had to walk like this with our heels kind of over the ledge, walk like this with the river roaring below us. Someone before us, some hikers before us, had put a nice rope across there, secured it a climbing rope, so we had something to hold on to while we edged our way across, like that. And I remember our location scout, Jay Carroll, saying to us, I remember exactly what he said. He said, hey, you know what? You'll be fine as long as you don't let go of the rope for any reason. So I watched my producer go across. She did fine. The production assistant went across. He did great. It looked easy. So it was my turn. I was doing great until, for some reason, I let go of the rope with one hand just for a second. Kerploosh. And I remember, I was talking to Alvin about this, I remember falling about 15 feet, 20 feet into the river, and I'm looking down and there are big boulders, and I somehow missed the boulders. I went right into a water, went way down, and when I looked up through the water, you know what the first thing I saw was? Jay Carroll's hand, the location scout's hand, thrusting through the water to grab my hand. What a picture. What a picture of what our Lord does when we let go of that rope. But Galatians 5.1 is telling us that Jesus is like that rope. Don't let go of him for any reason. We're all traveling on precarious trails through this world. We must cling to Jesus every step we take on the ledge of life. We must cling to Jesus every step we take on that ledge of life. Paul writes, Therefore keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. What is a yoke? I have a picture of a yoke. A yoke is not fun and it's not fashionable. A yoke is worn by beasts of burden over the neck and shoulders. It's heavy. It's restrictive. When you wear a yoke, you can be steered by whoever is holding the reins. Sometimes do you feel like somebody else is holding the reins of your life. Maybe you're being steered by anger, bitterness, jealousy, something. You just can't seem to fight it. In the letter to the Galatians, Paul is writing about the yoke of legalism. But there are lots of other yokes. There's that heavy yoke of worry. When you're stressed, don't you feel it in your neck and shoulders? Doesn't it just weigh you down like that yoke? There's the yoke of lust. There's that yoke of greed. There's the yoke of envy, of selfishness, bitterness. Whatever it is, when we sin, the yoke is on us. The only way we can put on that yoke to let go of Jesus. In Paul's day, oxen wore heavy yokes every day of their adult lives, but when they were no longer able to pull that wagon or move that millstone, what happened to them? They were slaughtered. This is how sin works just like this too. It weighs us down all our lives and in the end leads us to slaughter. You know, a few weeks ago I was at L.A. airport. I was in line at the security and one of the TSA agents with a very loud voice said to all of us in line, he said, do you hear this sound? And he walked through the metal detector and went beep, 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 and the alarm went off. And he goes, you don't want to hear that sound, so take everything out of your pockets. 
Paul is warning us with a loud voice, just like that TSA agent. He's saying, do you see that yoke? You don't want to wear that yoke. Take everything that enslaves you out of your pockets. Get it out of your life, whatever it is. There's a lot here in verse 1, isn't there? Isn't it amazing? Is God's word amazing? We're going to move on now. Part 2 of the outline. The trap of legalism versus the hope of faith. Verses 2 to 6. Verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. The false teachers were telling the Galatians that in addition to believing in Jesus, they needed to be circumcised and follow other religious rules. This is how they could earn their salvation. You know, there's nothing wrong with circumcision. What's wrong is trusting in circumcision or trusting in anything other than Jesus alone for our salvation. You know, years ago, this is maybe 25 years ago, a woman at, a, at another church came up to me. We were having a Bible study barbecue. And she said something to me I've never forgotten. She said, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. And I was waiting to hear, oh, that's wonderful, her confidence. I know for sure I'm going to heaven because... I never miss a day of church. You know, perfect attendance at church is a wonderful thing. When you come every Saturday or every Sunday expecting the Lord to to meet you and you come to worship Him, it's wonderful. God will bless you. However, perfect attendance does not get us into heaven. Only faith in God's perfect Son gets us into heaven by the grace of God. So Paul writes in verse 2, Behold, behold means pay attention to what I'm about to say. Behold, pay attention. I, Paul, the former champion of legalism, am telling you by the authority of Christ that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. What does this mean, Christ will be of no benefit to you? Let me have that picture, Daniel. Maybe this picture will help us understand. When Jesus was crucified, there were three crosses, remember? Jesus was in the middle with a dying man on his left and a dying man on his right. One dying man put his faith in Jesus. And when the Lord died, he took that man with him that very day into paradise, into eternal life. The other dying man did not trust in Christ. And that man did not enter paradise. He did not enter eternal life. Jesus' death profited him nothing. The legalists wanted the Galatians to think that they could have both Jesus and a law relationship with God. Paul tells them that is not an option. The system of grace and the system of works, system of the law, are incompatible. Whoever wants to have just some of Jesus, just part of Jesus, loses the whole. Verse 3. Paul says, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Paul is correcting another misconception. The legalists were teaching the Galatians that righteousness comes by obeying certain laws. Paul says again, it doesn't work that way. If we want to be justified by the law, we have to obey the entire law, not just our favorite parts of it. Do you know how many commandments there are in the law of Moses? There are more than 10. There are 613 commandments. It would be an overwhelming burden just to memorize 
all 613 commandments, let alone have to obey them all perfectly every moment of every day. As Pastor Mark and Pastor Doug have already taught us, the law was never given to save us. The law was given to show us how hopelessly lost we are without Jesus. The law gives us 613 reasons why we need Jesus because we can never be righteous on our own. Let's look at verse 4. It ties back to verse 2. So let me read verse 2 and then go right to verse 4. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Verse 4, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. The word severed means to be separated or disconnected. Without faith, you know what we're like? Without faith, we're like a power plug that has been unplugged from the wall, unplugged from the power source. We're just laying there powerless without faith. When we embrace the law as our way of walking with God, or if we embrace anything other than Jesus alone for our relationship with God, we have unplugged ourselves from Jesus. We're powerless. To fall from grace, to fall from grace means that we lose the atonement. We lose the forgiveness of sins. We lose the righteousness and the freedom. We lose the life that Jesus earned for us by his death and resurrection. To lose God's grace means we gain God's wrath and judgment. Instead of freedom, we live in bondage to sin, and our master is the devil. Instead of eternal life, we receive everlasting condemnation. Now, some people have read this and and they're worried about the phrase, you have fallen from grace. They think that a Christian can lose their salvation. No. We don't hold our salvation. God holds our salvation. Paul is writing to those who have not made a commitment to Christ. Maybe they made a verbal one, but they never made one in their heart. They were still pursuing the law. Others worry that fallen from grace, you have fallen from grace, means that when a Christian sins, that we fall out of God's grace. But the wonderful truth of Scripture is, when you and I sin, we actually fall into grace. Let me put 1 John 1, 8 and 9 on the screen for you. Let's remind ourselves. I know we know this passage, but oh my goodness. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On this side of eternity, sinless perfection is just not possible for us. An unconfessed sin hinders our relationship with God. It spoils our freedoms in the Lord. That's why we must confess it. We must get that yoke off of us and confess our sins to God and ask Him to help us be restored by His amazing grace. Verse 5, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. You know what? The Holy Spirit is a wonderful writer. In verse 4, he shows us the hopelessness of legalism. Verse 5 shows us the hope of faith, waiting for the hope of righteousness. What does that mean? Waiting for the hope of righteousness means that we are eagerly and wholeheartedly trusting in Jesus to cover us with his righteousness. We place no confidence in our own righteousness. Our only hope is salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus. We trust in his promise 
that Jesus has set us free from the penalty of sin in this life. And in heaven, we will be free from the presence of sin forever. Oh my gosh. Gives new meaning to the song we sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. You know what that means? That means I dare not trust even the best things, temporary things in life. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, sinking sand. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Look at those first three glorious, wonderful words at the beginning of this verse. This is amazing. For in Christ. This means because we're in Christ. Because we have this close unity with the Lord Jesus. We have everything we need for our salvation. It's fine to be circumcised if you want to be. But you're not more saved or less saved if you're circumcised or not. It's sort of like today. Some people think that if you belong to a specific denomination or carry a certain Bible translation, you, you are more righteous than another. Nonsense. No. In Christ we have everything. There's nothing more to add. Nothing more to add. Now we come to the final point of our outline. Well, it takes so little for us to lose so much. Verse 7. Paul writes, You were running well. Can't you hear the pain in his heart? You were running well. Who hindered you from the obeying the truth? The comparison of the Christian life to a race is one of Paul's favorite analogies. And this race is not a sprint, is it? It's, it's a marathon. Here we have the image of a runner running well. Strong strides, arms pumping up and down, lungs full of air, moving with speed, power, and energy. If you've ever been a runner, you live for days like this where you go out and you feel great. It just comes easy for you. Your energy actually increases the longer you run. It's wonderful. Our faith in Christ allows us to move through life like a runner with freedom, with power, with joy, and with increased energy. Even as we get older, increased energy. The word hindered in the Greek is a word used in military operations. It means to break up the road, bust up the road so it's impassable. It's the opposite of clearing the way. So Paul's asking his beloved Galatians, you, you were doing so good in your faith. Who broke up the road you were running on? Who stopped you dead in your tracks? In our Christian life, our road is full of stumbling blocks that can trip us up and stop us cold. Where do those stumbling blocks come from? Verse 8 tells us, Paul says, this persuasion, he means whatever hinders us from obeying the truth of Jesus, whatever it is, did not come from him, did not come from the Lord who calls you. Any teaching, any thoughts, any actions that, do, that are contrary to the truth of Jesus do not come from God. Where do they come from? They come from that serpent's tongue that has been hindering the truth since the Garden of Eden. Okay, let's answer this question. How big are those stumbling blocks that can knock us off our feet? Are they huge? 
Does it take a lot to knock us mighty runners off our stride? Oh, I wish it did. Unfortunately, no. It takes very little. Verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Leaven is often used in Scripture to represent sin because little sin permeates a, a body, permeates us, just like a little bit of yeast permeates a whole lump of dough. It only takes a little sin to enslave us. It only takes a little bit of false teaching to infect a person and infect an entire church. It takes so little to make us fall so hard. You know, we may start out strong in our faith and we might run for a while in our faith strongly, but we must finish strong. If we want to run well, if we want to experience all the extraordinary freedoms that Jesus died to provide for us, we have to wise up and realize something today. We have to realize there is no such thing as a small sin. There just isn't. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Everything that enslaves us starts with the first bite. Just no such thing as a small little sin. Verse 10. Oh, this is so, so beautiful. Paul writes, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul loved the Galatians, but he put his confidence in the Lord. I love that. God, Paul trusted that God would keep his beloved Galatians from turning away from the truth. Paul is also sure that the false teachers will answer to God, and certainly they will. You know, Paul obviously spent a lot of time in prayer for those he loved. You know what we need to do? We need to pray for each other. Anytime you think of me, anytime I think of you, anytime you think of each other, fun. Think about how fun they are. Think about something cool, but make it a prayer. Satan has millions of salespeople everywhere we go peddling that false freedom. We need to pray for each other to keep our eyes and our ears on Jesus so we don't fall. We don't stop from running well. We need to pray for each other. Verse 11, Paul writes, But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. It looks like the false teachers had suggested that Paul agreed with their legalism. Paul is saying, Not hardly. If I was still preaching circumcision, then why am I getting all this persecution from the Judaizers and the legalists? Paul did not preach circumcision. Paul preached that faith in the crucified Christ is the only way to salvation. One and only way. That's what Paul preached. This is the stumbling block of the cross. Stumbling block in this context means an offense. The message of the cross offends people. Have you notice that? Can you share Christ with people? People are offended by the idea that Jesus is their only hope. They don't like that. It offends our pride. But we who trust in Christ, we love the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus did for us what is impossible for us to do for ourselves. He set us free in every possible way. Verse 12. 
I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. This is not the kind of verse a preacher wants to end a message on. <laughs> the false teachers were insisting that the Galatians put themselves under the burden of the law. So Paul is saying, okay, if circumcision, a little surgery, is a means of righteousness, then why don't you false teachers demonstrate your religious devotion by a big surgery? Become castrated. Castration was actually practiced by pagan priests in that day, so the Galatians would totally understand what Paul was meaning. Saying if a little cutting will make you righteous, then why not go all the way and be really righteous? Paul is declaring that any teaching that says our sacrifices or our efforts have the same or more value than Jesus, what Jesus did, is so dangerous that we must cut it out of our lives and cut it out of our congregation. So as we leave here today, let's keep a sharp eye out for those stumbling blocks. You may need a magnifying glass. Just be aware, look out for those endless temptations to trade your freedom for a yoke of slavery. We should never again think to ourselves, this is just a little sin. This is just a small point where I disagree with God's word. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of God. Jesus says that everyone who commits sin of any size is a slave of sin. Whatever sin has you in a trap today, you must confess it to God. Call it what it is. Ask him to help you get out of that trap, get it out of your life. Let me just close with verse 1 again. It was for freedom that Christ set us free in every possible way. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't, don't let go of Jesus for any reason. And do not be subject again yoke of slavery. Our wonderful prayer team will be right here to pray with you if you'd like prayer after the service. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Father, please show us where we're trapped today. Lord, maybe maybe some of us worry too much. Maybe, maybe some of us are struggling with jealousy or, or, or pride or lust or just so anxious, any number of things. Help us see more clearly than we ever have before that nothing, nothing is worth spoiling the freedom we have in you. Father, we can live radically different lives when we walk in your freedom, when we live the way you created us to live. We can respond to bad news. We can respond to bad situations. We can respond to all the normal little stresses of life without stress because we're trusting in you, in you, Jesus. We don't have to sweat the big stuff. And we don't have to sweat the little stuff. We can trust you for everything and be set free in every way. Please, help us walk more consistently in your freedom, we pray in your holy and precious name.